Heritage Park Baptist Church, we make apprentices to Jesus Christ. For more information about our church, please visit heritagepark.org. This is the sermon before the sermon. Here you go. You ready? Here it is. Uh, I actually got asked this week. Uh, so, so, like, if I read my Bible, like, how do I move it from here to here? How do I move it out of head into heart? And the Bible says there are two ways. Number one, you obey it. So if, if uh, the Bible says to go do something, you do that, and it will get out of your head and into your heart. The second way is that you sing it into your heart. So when we get to um, Psalm 24, that, that Charlie Hall song that we sang a while ago from Psalm 24, the guy's got to be 25 years old at least, huh? At least. Um, anyway, um, give us clean hands. Give it, it's straight out of Psalm 24. How do you move that from here to here? You sing it, and that's exactly right. So I want to encourage you. Keep on singing, man. I keep on singing. Okay, so Exodus. Here's where we are in the story. Um, the th- the, what we've been saying all along is that uh, the story of Exodus is our story. God brings people out of bondage, delivers them, uh, and then creates a new people on the way to the promised land. Okay, uh, People out of bondage, delivers them, and creates a new people on the way to the promised land. Their story is our story. When it comes to um, this particular section where we are, just so that everybody's clear on the setting, um, God has delivered them. He has brought them through the Red Sea, out of Egypt, through the Red Sea, um, and is now shaping them. At this point in the story, Exodus chapter 20, he's given them the Ten Commandments. Um, Exodus chapter 24, the representatives of the people come up onto the mountain. They meet with God and Moses, and they're like, yes, we're in on this. We see the covenant. We see the terms and agreements. We've read them all. We checked the box, and now we're saying submit. Yes, we're in uh, on this. And then we're going to, there's other laws that kind of... um, uh, uh, get, get given to Moses here. Moses at this point has been on the mountain meeting with God, getting the Ten Commandments and the rest of it. He's been on the mountain for 40 days. That's a long time, yes? Okay, uh, if you're under 12 in here, say 40 days. It's a long time. And, and I'm saying that to say this actually uh, feeds right into um, to the first part, but don't miss this. Uh, God is still very much at work even when um, we can't necessarily see what's going on, he's still very much at work. So Exodus uh, chapter 32, this is where uh, we are. In, uh, in verse 1, uh, when the people saw uh, that Moses delayed to come down from the mountain. Now, all of you kiddos in here, how long had he been delayed? 40 days. Y'all are right with me. Thank you. Uh, The people gathered themselves together uh, to Aaron and said to him, Up, make for us gods who shall go before us. As for this Moses, the man who brought us up out of the land of Egypt, we do not know what has become of him. Very short memories, very little gratitude, and this Moses. I mean, just think about that. Verse uh, 2, excuse me. So Aaron said to them, Take off the rings of gold that are in your ears uh, of your wives, your sons, your daughters, and bring them to me. So all the people took off the rings of gold that were in their ears and brought them to Aaron. And he received the gold from their hand and fashioned it with a graving tool and made a golden calf. And they said, These are your gods, O Israel, who brought you up out of the land of Egypt. When Aaron saw this, He built an altar before it, before the idol that he had just made. And Aaron made proclamation and said, Tomorrow shall be a feast day to the Lord. And they rose up early the next day, offered burnt offerings and brought peace offerings. And the people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play. Now, um, when it says rose up to play, that is an idiom for everything that you could possibly imagine. And I'll leave it right there for the sake of the ears in the room. Yes? 
Okay, great. So uh, here, here's kind of scene one in this story. Uh, we've, we've done deliverance. We've done through the Red Sea. God is in the process of making them a new people on the way to the promised land. Moses is on the mountain for how long? One more time. 40 days. He's up there, and scene number one in Exodus 32 is the people fail. Boy, howdy do they fail. They stick it right in the ditch. The people fail. Why do they fail? Here's why I think. Because a, a sense of languishing and impatience combine to create fear in them. Now, there's a, a TED Talk that came out fairly recently about languishing, and it was so helpful to me because it actually put a word on some of the things that many of us have experienced over the past uh, not quite two years yet. Languishing is something like this. Uh, you know, you've got smile and, and uh, laughing out loud emojis, yes? And then you've got, f like, frowning emojis or, like, full-on crying emojis. And you've got the one in the middle with the two, the, like, the eyes, and then the straight line across where it's like, meh. This is languishing. It's when uh, the drive to do something has, has basically uh, disappeared. And we kind of feel like, meh, languishing. So here in verse 1, when the people saw that Moses had delayed to come down. So there's impatience, delayed to come down. That they gathered, uh, the, the people gathered themselves together and saying, oh, make gods for us. And look, I don't want to stay where I am anymore. I don't want to feel like this anymore. I mean, so languishing, that kind of meh feeling, and Impatience, this Moses, where in the world is he? I'm sure there's something happening up there on the mountain, but we don't even know what's becoming. God could have killed him at this point. We don't know. We've been standing around this place for a long, long time. The line is getting pretty long. I'm tired of the traffic, whatever, 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 right? And it combined, languishing and impatience combined to create fear. Fear is contagious. I don't know if you've noticed this recently. And it spreads. And that... Uh, leads to chaos. This is exactly what happens. Up, make for us gods who shall go before us. We don't know what happened to Moses. Look at verse 2. So Aaron said to them, take off the rings. Aaron caught the fear. Take off the rings of gold that are in your ears of your wives, your sons, and so forth. And he made a, he made a cap out of it. Fear is contagious and it leads to chaos. And when chaos is happening in our own personal lives, in our family, um, in the uh, work environment in which we find ourselves, in the relational environment in which we find ourselves, on our soccer team, at the baseball field, in any other place, in the neighborhood, whatever. When, when um, chaos is at work or is present, the one thing that every single person in here wants to latch onto is something solid, solidity. People, when chaos comes, people grasp for solidity. We don't know what happened to Moses. We've been sitting around here. Now we don't know what's going on. Give us something. And so what do they do? They make for themselves an idol. Now, can we just pause for a second? Everybody just take a look at this slide right here. Languishing and impatience combined to create fear. Fear is contagious, leads to chaos. And in the midst of chaos, people grasp for solidity. Does this sound like anything that we've experienced? Languishing and impatience combine to create fear. Fear is contagious. Gets spread via social media and any other other platforms. Uh, and it leads to chaos. And when chaos is ensued in our personal lives or in our world, what do we look for? Anything that's solid. Anything that's solid. To hold on to. They needed clarity. 
and they needed courage. But what they got was Aaron. He was a coward, folks. He, was a, he should have stood and said, hey, look, boy, it's really rough right now. But let's hold out hope in faith that God's going to come through. That's what they needed to hear. What they got was, eh, just give me the gold and we'll see what happens. <clears throat> Did anybody take any philosophy courses uh, in uh, your, uh, somewhere along the way? You had to take, and you heard of a guy named Rene Descartes. Anybody? Anybody? Rene Descartes. What's he famous for? What's his saying? I think, therefore I am. Descartes, uh, at the front end of the Enlightenment, I think, therefore I am. And basically, this is, this is the idea. He wanted to find a solid place that he could begin his rational life from. And he starts with, well, therefore, I am. Because I'm thinking, therefore, I am. But listen, self-determination didn't start with Rene Descartes at the beginning of the Enlightenment coming out of all of the Middle Ages craziness. Self-determination started a long, long time before that. And, and our uh, capacity um, to create gods and then justify them, that's been around a long, long time. And it seems to be, that capacity to do so seems to be uh, pretty large. People go looking for a solid place to stand. What they're actually giving themselves is permission to do what they want to do anyway. Th these folks right here in Exodus 32, they were already worshiping an idol in their hearts. All they did was give external expression to it. And when we create gods um, to worship and justify them, by the way, um, what did they make the calf out of? Does anybody remember? Gold. Where did they get that gold? If you remember from the earlier part of the story, when God delivered them and they were marching out of uh, Egypt, the Egyptians were like, here, take this, here, take this. And they started just piling on all of these precious metals so that they could walk. And it says they plundered the Egyptians. God blessed them with this gold and they took that blessing and turned it into an idol. God blessed them and they took the blessing and turned it into an idol. Again, does this story sound familiar to anyone? God at times blesses us, and it's in us, folks. It's in us to turn that blessing of retirement or a current job or a family or a relationship or a kid or an opportunity or, 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 or to turn that blessing into an idol. It's in us. Then Aaron, again, they fail. Aaron fails. Said, hey, let's, let's in the, down here in verse 5, hey, tomorrow, let's have a feast to the Lord in front of the idol. Can anybody think of anything in our day, in our age, that, that um, wants to justify the acceptance of something in God's name by saying, surely God's going to be okay with this. We're doing it in his name. They had agreed to the Ten Commandments, just to be clear, so that we're all on the same page here. They had agreed to the Ten Commandments. Um, and the very first two, no, no, commandment number one is, no other gods before me. Commandment number two, don't make an idol. What had happened in the first six verses? Other gods, and they made an idol. Listen, 
Right here, they're clearly out of God's will, out of what he planned for them. And then Aaron comes along and is like, hey, I tell you what, let's smooth it all over by having a feast to the Lord in front of the idol. We do not get to justify the acceptance of something that God said is um, wrong by appealing to one of his attributes over another or saying, I'm sure God will bless this and it's going to get on the right side of history on this stuff. We, we don't get to go against what God has said. The people fail. Next, next scene, verse 7. The Lord said to Moses, go down. For your people whom you brought up out of the land of Egypt. Can we just pause? Did you miss that? pronoun the Lord said to Moses go down for your people now I love that does anybody ever have this happen at your household with your kids where you as the parents are there and then oh you're pointing already it's good there's pointing going on identification of how this goes down where where you have a kid who does something and one parent will say to the other your son your daughter did this And you think to yourself, I'm fairly confident that we were both involved in this process. (laughs) How is he my son all of a sudden? How is is she my daughter? Simply because they're acting just like you. So here's here's God. God God is saying this. Previously, all, all throughout, you will be my people and I will be your God. You're my people. And now God's like, Moses, your people, they they messed up. They have stuck it. Flat in the ditch. Go down for your people whom you brought up out of the land of Egypt have corrupted themselves. They've turned aside quickly out of the way that I commanded them. They've made for themselves a golden calf, worshipped it, sacrificed to it, and said, These are your gods, O Israel, who brought you up out of the land of Egypt. So God speaks here. This is how this unfolds. God speaks, and he lets Moses know what has happened. He lets Moses know what has happened. But he goes a step further than that. It's good when God lets us know what happened, but he, in, in this particular case, also gives a very clear diagnosis. Verse 9, and the, um, and the Lord said to Moses, I've seen this people, and behold, it's a stiff-necked people. Now, I don't know if that's an adjective you've rolled out this week. I think we probably should bring that back into our vocabulary. This is, you, this is a stiff-necked people. There, there is a diagnosis here where God says, Look, I've displayed my goodness to them. I have delivered them. I have brought some good things their way. I have done some things. I have blessed them. I have I've clearly made my, uh, uh, my will um, uh, evident to them. And yet, they still mess this thing up. They're stiff-necked. And then, verse 10, he lets him in on what his plan is. Now, therefore, let me alone that my wrath may burn hot. Against them, and I may consume them in order that I may make a great nation of you. Of you. So God's plan is what? Moses, step out of the way, please. I'm going to consume them, and I'll make a great nation of you. Now, if God speaks and he lets Moses know kind of his intent and what's going to go down, and if you are a maniacal, like egotistical person, you're like, that's a plan! Let's make this magic happen because surely I can obey better than the rest of all of these hoodlums who are there. This is not what Moses did. God spoke, let him know what was going to go down. And the last thing that God said to Moses was, Moses, step out of the way. That's what it means when it says in in verse 11, uh, let me alone. Now, therefore, let me alone. Step out of the way, Moses. And Moses does the exact opposite. He stands there. He stands there. And he begins an intercession 
for the people. And this is where we pick it up in verse 11. Moses prays three specific things. Verse 11. But Moses implored the Lord as God and said this, O Lord, why does your wrath burn hot against your people, whom you've brought out of the land of Egypt with great power and with a mighty hand? Here Moses intercedes, and this is the first thing that he says. God, you have displayed your power. I mean, you have shown your power. Don't forget that. Because, God, you are so powerful, you brought them out of this, and you're powerful enough to get them. Don't, you're like, you've displayed your power. Keep the power on. Like, keep, keep the light switch flip. Keep the throttle forward. Keep displaying your power. You've displayed your power. Now, church family, I'm saying this to say, we're going to hit on a couple of things here. And the way that we pray, this would be a good thing to take note of. Because these are good prayers to remind God of. You've displayed your power. Verse 12. Why should the Egyptians say, with evil intent did he bring them out, to kill them in the mountains and to consume them from the face of the earth? Turn from your burning anger and relent from this disaster against your people. Um, So uh, Moses here appeals actually to God's goodness. He said, God, you've been good. And if if you wipe them out and start over with me, the Egyptians are going to say, you did this with evil intent. You've displayed your power, and you've also displayed your goodness to them. Every morning they wake up, there's manna on the ground. You've brought quail. You've given them ten commandments. You've done all of these kinds of... Like, just be clear, God, that your goodness has been on display, and that's a good thing. And we don't want the Egyptians to think that you weren't good. We don't want them to think that you brought them out for evil intent. God, you've given your goodness to them. You've displayed your goodness. Now, in verse 13, remember... Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, or Jacob, your servants, to whom you swore by your own self and said to them, I will multiply your offspring as the stars of heaven, and all this land that I promised I will give to your offspring, and they shall inherit it forever. And in verse 14, and the Lord relented of the disaster that he had spoken of bringing on his people. Essentially, what he said was, God, you've been faithful, so be faithful. God, you've shown your power. Keep the power going, man. We're going to need it. God, you've shown your goodness. Don't let your goodness be spoken of as evil by people who are watching. And God, you are faithful. Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, all these people. Like, you've done this, God. You've been faithful. So be faithful. That's what he's saying. Church family, there are worse ways to pray than this right here. There are worse things to say before God, to say, God, I know we're staring this down. I know we got this going down. I know there's some problems here. I know you're frustrated with that in me or in this other situation. But listen, you've been powerful. Please bring your power to bear on this. You've been good. Please demonstrate your goodness in this. And God, you have been faithful, so please be faithful as this goes down. It's a good way to pray. God's like, hey, get get it, get it. Slide out of the way. Moses is like, no, no, no. I'm going to stand right here and I'm going to remind you of all the things that you've done and ask you to keep doing those things. Now, God had been, he had been powerful and good and faithful. But there were still consequences. And I just want to work through here. I tell you what, but before we do that, let me just, uh, let me just point to something. Uh, d- down in verse 32 of Exodus 32, Moses goes back up on the mountain. Here's what he says. But now, if you will forgive their sin, but if not, please blot me out of your books that you've written. Moses steps in and he prays. He's like, God, you've done all these things. And I'm telling you, if somebody's got to go down, if somebody's got to die on this, take me instead. Don't don't wipe them out. Just take me. 
He offers himself. That's good. That's where the intercession kind of went. So, um, as I said, there were consequences here. Let's just look at them um, quickly. Look, look at uh, um, verse 19. Moses, in, chapter, in, excuse me, in verse 15, 16, 17, 18, Moses comes down. He's got the two tablets um, that the Lord himself had written on with the Ten Commandments on them. He encounters Joshua. Joshua's like, hey, boss, something's happening uh, in the camp. It sounds like war or something. There's some, he's like, it ain't war. It's singing. And he comes down the hill with the two tablets in hand. Verse 19, he said, as soon as he came near the camp and saw the calf and the dancing, Moses' anger burned hot. Now, that's interesting because who was hot while ago? God was. Now Moses is hot. He sees what's going on. And he threw the tablets out of his hands and broke them at the foot of the mountain. Why, Moses? Why are you so mad, man? Like, why are you, why are you breaking tablets? Because the tablets had already been broken. No other gods before me. Don't make an idol. We're already over two. Broken tablets there as an expression of the broken law. Verse 21. And Moses said to Aaron, so not just the broken tablets. Moses said to Aaron, what did this people do to you that you brought them such, uh, that you brought such a great sin upon them? Aaron was not uniquely smart. Verse 22, Aaron said, Let not the anger of the, my Lord burn hot. You know the people that they're set on evil. For they said to me, Make us gods who shall go before us. As for this Moses, the man who brought us up out of the land of Egypt, we don't know what's become of him. Verse 24, So I said to them, Let any of you have gold, take it off. They gave it to me. I threw it in the fire. Out came the calf. Is that not the lamest excuse of all time? I mean, like, come up with a better story than that. Well, they hogtied me and dangled me over a pit of vipers, and they said, if you don't make it... I mean, come up with something. Instead, you're like, well, I was just in there. I'm like, uh, well, you offered God some gold, and they get gold, and we threw it in the fire, and out came a calf. It's crazy. I, mean, I wish you would have been here. You, do, do you think Moses bought the story? He didn't buy the story. It, so much that we we don't even have we, we don't even have Moses' response. Anybody ever been told something so lame that you're like I don't have any words for that right there. I'm out. I just that's Moses. He's like, That's the best you got, huh? Okay. That was terrible. Come up with a better story. Aaron, not very smart. And, and that, this is the place where the, there's a fracture in the relationship with Aaron. That's one of the consequences of sin. And so all throughout the rest of um, th- these first couple of books of the Bible, you see moments where there's friction between Aaron and Moses. God still used Aaron in some important ways. That's true. But there's friction there. There's a fractured uh, relationship because of sin. And lastly, uh, there was death in the camp. Uh, look down at verse 28. And the sons uh, of Levi did, according to the word of Moses, that day about 3,000 men of the people fell. There's death in the camp. There are consequences to sin, folks. There, there always are. Moses took the calf, ground it up, threw it on the water, made him drink it. I mean, all of this stuff is what went down. There are consequences to this. So here's how I want to um, kind of 
begin to wrap up here. There's a particular thing, and I, I don't want you to miss it, in verse 14. He says, And the Lord relented from the disaster that he's spoken of bringing on his people. So God said he was going to do something, and then Moses interceded, and he changed his mind. So what is that? What does that mean? So just a little excursus here where we just kind of go off the path for just a minute. We'll come back. But I don't want to miss this. That God, in his eternal counsel and in his character, is unchanging. From page one to the last page, it is clear God doesn't change. So you can't change his character. It's not like he's going to improve. There's nothing imperfect about him that he needs to improve on. And it's not like he's going to devolve uh, and get worse at something. So his character doesn't change. And furthermore, his purposes on the earth, what he's going to do in that moment, excuse me, what he's going to do in eternity, those do not change. God's eternal counsel and his character are unchanging. Well, what about this? Moses, he said he's going to do one thing. Hey, I'm going to make you a nation. I'm going to... Smite all these other people. Um, I'm going to make you a nation. Moses intercedes and God changes his mind, apparently. Uh, Verse 14, he relents of this disaster. Here's what we have. Here's what we have. Uh, We have insight into how God views a particular situation at a particular moment. This is what we have. We have God saying, "Mm, this is how I'm understanding this right now. Um, Do you and I have all the perspective of God? No. Do you and I uh, know how it's going to shake? No. All that's true. But in this moment, what we have is insight into how God is viewing this particular situation. And please don't miss this right here. This is so critical. Anytime God reveals himself to us, we also have an invitation to relate to him. God says, oh, I'm still frustrated with him. He's talking with his teeth clenched like that. I'm so frustrated. That is a moment to relate to God. Anytime God reveals himself, revelation is always, for it's an, always an invitation. It's an invitation to relate to him. That's exactly what Moses does. Moses, step out of the way. Moses is like, mm, no, I'm going to stand right here and you and I are going to talk. It's always a chance, always an invitation to relate to him. And I'm saying that because some of you are at places where God has said some things, revealed some things, um, expressed some things, and you're like, uh, I don't know what to do with that. Just start relating to him. Start talking to him about those things. It is an invitation by God to relate to him because burning deep in his heart, far beyond any religious practice, far beyond anything, burning deep in his heart is a desire to be intimately related to you and you to be intimately related to him. You want to know what is in God. It is a desire for a relationship with you. By by saying this, he's inviting Moses into this. So that's what we have. Here's what we know. Here's what we know. We know that God would have been God had he chosen to act differently. In verse 14, he relented of the disaster. Had he chosen to go ahead and carry it out, he still would have been God, would have been faithful to his promises. All of that would have happened just like it... Secondly, we don't know, uh, we know that we do not know and cannot know how it would have gone otherwise. Some people, man, I just, pastorally, uh, I just, I want to just note this. Some people are like, well, if I wouldn't have prayed, would it have gone a different way? If I would have prayed, da 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 and they kind of get lost in all the philosophy and theory of all of that kind of stuff. Here, here's the thing. We are in a genuine, living relationship with God. Let's act like it. Don't worry about the theory so much as just the relationship that's right there in front of us. We can't know how it would have gone, how it could have gone. We get an opportunity to relate to God, though. And lastly, what we see is that Moses' prayer, his intercession made the difference. Now, church family, some people say, well, if 
I mean, it doesn't really matter. God's going to do what God's going to do anyway. Listen, I'm telling you, the Bible, the way the Bible tells the story is you and I have the opportunity to step in and pray and things change as a result of that. Some of you are facing things that you need prayer for. Some of you are facing things that you... And everything in you wants to surrender hope to go, I'm out. I don't want to do this anymore. God, just do what you're going to do. And I'm telling you right now, God is inviting you into a time of prayer to say, I believe that something can change. I believe that something... And to hold on to that hope to say, God, I know you're at work. Please be at work. I know you've been powerful. Please continue to be powerful. I know you've been good. Please continue to be good. I know that you have been faithful. Please be faithful. Please be faithful. We don't have to surrender to the hopelessness. We don't have to surrender uh, to the fear. We discover something. We, we've done this all along here as we've read through um, Exodus and worked our way through it. We, d- we discover something. We discover that we need something. And in, in, uh, in Psalm 106, it's the retelling of this story of in, in kind of poetic form, in song form. Psalm 105, 106, 107, they're all um, kind of teaching psalms. And in Psalm 106, they're reflecting specifically on this part of the Exodus story. And here's what it says. Therefore, he, God said he would destroy them. Had not Moses, his chosen one, stood in the breach before him to turn away his wrath from destroying them. So here's the poetic summary of all of Exodus chapter 32. And what we find is that we need something just like this. The people of Israel needed Moses, the chosen one, to step in on their behalf um, and and pray for them um, and then offer himself. Remember at the end of the story there, he offered himself as a sacrifice. Guess what? You and I need a chosen one to intercede for us and to offer himself as a sacrifice for us. A chosen one to intercede for us. To offer himself as a... Does this sound familiar to anyone? The reason why this story is our story is that you and I are in the camp before an idol of our own making and we need a chosen one to step in for us and offer himself as a sacrifice. Enter Jesus on the scene. Enter a chosen one, a chosen one who steps in on our behalf. And offers himself as a sacrifice. And in doing so, in doing so, you and I then get the opportunity to relate to this God who made us for himself, who loves us passionately, and who doesn't like sweep our sin under the rug, but says, man, I've got the answer for your golden calf. I've got something far better than you can make for yourself. A chosen one who prays for you and who offers himself as a sacrifice. If you're not a follower of Jesus in here, you're watching online, I just want to say to you, man, you're not going to get a better deal than that right there. I promise you. There is a God who made you and who loves you and who sent his son Jesus to die for your sins and in your place. He is the one who is the chosen one who intercedes for you, who offers himself as a sacrifice. 
He is the one who solidifies in your mind God's power, God's power and um, His uh, goodness and His faithfulness. And if you are a follower of Jesus in here, what I want to say to you is just this story is your story. God sent a better Moses so that you and I could be rightly related to him forever. And that's, that's where we're going to stop with a reminder that God has done this for us. Jesus is the chosen one. He is the one who in this moment, right this very second, is praying for us. He is the one who has offered himself as a sacrifice in our place. If you're not a follower of Jesus, I invite you to put your trust in him today. Give your life to him. And if you are a follower of Jesus, I just want to remind you that you can soak this in, man. Let it just get all down inside of you. And know that for all the gods that we can make, there's such a better God to follow. Let me pray for us, and then we'll have a time of response, okay? So, Father, now I simply ask um, that you would be at work in the ways that we need you to work. And, Spirit of God, um, we can't even identify all of those, but what we know and what we can confess to be true is that you know all of those ways and you know where we need to start. And so I, did, I pray, Father, that you would um, make those things clear to us. For some of us, it's surrender. For some of us, it's a reminder that, man, we don't have to follow the, the cultural push toward a golden calf. For, for, for some of us, it's a reminder, God, you've blessed us, and we want to be stewards instead of people who uh, make an idol out of the blessings that you've given us, whatever it may be. God, you have displayed your power. You have given us over and above anything that we deserve, and your goodness is on display. And God, you have been so faithful to us. So we surrender to that and ask by your Holy Spirit that you would be at work in us. And Jesus, you would get the honor that you deserve as a result. We put that in your hands now. And I I simply ask, we do this, I know it seems like every week, but I, I, I simply ask, Father, that you wouldn't let up until it's done. Don't let up until it's done. Take a moment, finish that prayer, say whatever you need to say to the Lord in this moment. And now with all of these things, Father, we commit them into your hands in Jesus' name. Everybody said amen and amen.